0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Let me read a verse to you from Hebrews chapter 11, the first verse. You'll be familiar with these words. And everything I'm going to say this evening regarding Jonah is really an exposition of this verse. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for uncertain of what we do not see. There's a definition of faith. You've heard people define faith, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all I trust Him, And that's a great wee mnemonic to learn and, and to commit to memory. But, but this, is, this is in the plainest words now. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. If you have your Bible, turn there to Jonah chapter 2. At the end of verse 1, or sorry, of chapter 1, it says, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And so it goes in then to Jonah's prayer. When Jonah was thrown into the sea, it was to all intents and purposes a sentence of death. His sins had found him out, and God's perfect justice had caught up with him. If you see there in verse 9 of chapter 1, he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Then in verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. This is true conviction of sin. Jonah isn't embellishing anything. He isn't making any excuses. This is the kind of confession that issues in genuine repentance. And genuine repentance is a rare thing today. It really is. Genuine repentance, it's a rare thing. Let me give you a definition of genuine repentance, and I refer to the shorter catechism. Question 87. What is repentance unto life? Answer, repentance unto life is a saving grace. So, first of all, we can't take any credit for it. It's a grace. It's a saving grace. Whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. And, you know, you can put Jonah's name in there, repentance unto life, for Jonah is a saving grace, whereby Jonah, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension or understanding of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Jonah accepts his guilt. Jonah accepts that the wages of sin is death. He accepts the justice of God. He accepts being cast into the sea. He gives himself to death, and the sailors live to praise God with new songs in their hearts. The Lord, however, we're told, provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Verse 17 of chapter 1. And the writer to the Hebrews describes faith, as I read to you early. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And it was in this spirit that Jonah, from inside the fish, prayed to the Lord his God, as it puts it there in chapter 2 in verse 1. That's how the chapter opens. From inside the fish... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And in and, and those later verses in chapter 2, if you read there uh, verses uh, from verse 3, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. The currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple." Look at verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. That's what he has just come through, and yet he's able He's able from inside the fish. He's now inside the fish, and he prays to the Lord his God after going through that horrific experience. From inside the fish, he prayed to the Lord his God. And Jonah's prayers unfolded through a series of four steps. And and these are, I would argue, as vital for believers today as they ever were for the prophet. And the first step we see here is that he called upon the Lord. Verse 2, he said, In my distress, I call to the Lord. And he answered me from the depths of the grave. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now, when some people are in trouble, they curse or complain bitterly about their plight. James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, told the early Christians in his little epistle, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. James 5, verse 13. And it goes on in that little section to, to tell us how to deal with those who are very sick. But he says, he, he prefaced it by saying, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. And, and that's a lesson for us, isn't it? Jonah called to the Lord in his distress. And you can understand this distress when we've read through there, what he has come through. And God's word assures Christians that we may approach the throne of grace to help us in our time of need, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 4 and verse 16. So without reservation, the Christian reaches out to the covenant promises of God, and he reaches out by faith because the evidence of his senses the afflictions that he is experiencing seems rather to point to the hopelessness of the situation. And, and you see, if Jonah allowed his senses to dictate, he never would have called out to God. If he had gone by what he had experienced, what he had come through, it never would have crossed his mind to call out to God. His senses tell him to despair. He realizes that the Lord is justly aggrieved with his sins but faith, against all hope, believes and calls to the Lord as the only Savior, the only answerer of prayer. That's what it means to call out in faith to God. If you got to that place in your life where you have called upon the Lord, Have you been so distressed about your situation before a holy God that you've cried out to him in your uh, sense of impotence? We discover that he calls out to God. Secondly, there's a coming to the throne of grace. And we see it there in verses 3 and 4. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. You see, even in the midst of what he's saying there, he's saying, you hurled me into the deep. You did this, Lord, and I deserved it. Into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers, that is, your breakers, swept over me. What, a demonst- what is demonstrated in Jonah's experience here is that when a sinner comes to God in true repentance and faith, he will find that throne of judgment to be a throne of grace. Even though he acknowledges his sin, even though he's justly being thrown into the sea here, he discovers that in the midst of judgment there is grace. And Jonah recognizes that it was God who had cast him into the sea, as in verse three there. And then comes the most significant statement of all, and I said, he says, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again. Towards your holy temple you see it there in verse 4 it's repeated again in verse 7 when my life was ebbing away I remembered you Lord and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple now the reference to the temple is the key to understanding what's going on I believe in Jonah's heart as he prays to the Lord it was in the temple in Jerusalem where God manifested himself to his people. It was in the temple in Jerusalem where sacrifice was made for the sins of the people. The temple signified the Lord's purpose of redemption for fallen humanity. And so he's drawn to the temple where sacrifice is made for sin, and he's a guilty sinner. In the New Testament, it is no accident that the Lord Jesus Christ identifies himself as the temple. Do you remember in John's Gospel, chapter 2, and verses 19 to 21, he said this. He, he came out with a statement that confused the people around him. He said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And they thought that he was talking about the temple in Jerusalem. And they thought, How, how on earth could the temple that took that took such a long time to build. How can that be raised in three days? But of course he was referring to his own body. Destroy this temple, and in three days it will rise again. In in Revelation uh, chapter uh, twenty one and uh, in verse twenty two, if I can just put my finger on it here, let me let me read this to you. Revelation 21 and verse 20, 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's the Lord identifying himself as the temple. Looking to the temple... Signified for Jonah what looking to Christ as Savior means for the New Testament believer. That is, looking to nothing less than an accomplished redemption. Where atonement covers sin, the throne of God's righteous judgment becomes a throne of grace, and therefore believers may approach God with freedom and confidence, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 3 and verse 12. Or as Hebrews, I quoted it earlier, puts it, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Prayer means far more than having a God who forgives and saves all those who come to him in faith. Jonah, for all his backslidings and for all that the evidence of his eyes was against it, came in faith, expecting blessing from a God of all grace. Even though the evidence all around him, he's in hes in a fish. He's in the belly of a fish. It's black, it's dark and slimy, and I'm sure it stank to high heaven. In spite of all that, he's, he's exercising faith. He's trusting God. He's expecting a blessing from God. When he looked to the temple, he looked to the provision of mercy and everlasting love. It's like that refrain that that comes through from the Old Testament. Look and live. Do you remember when when the the children of Israel were cursed with a disease and, and Moses made a serpent on a stick and they were told, look and live. Those that look will live. So there's been calling upon the Lord. There's been coming to the throne of grace. And then thirdly, there's tokens of favor. There are verses 5 to 7. Uh, Jonah now went one step further. He had called upon the Lord. He had come to him as to a throne of grace. And he now received tokens of the divine favor in his heart as the Spirit of God returned assurance of faith to this expression of trust in the righteousness and mercy of God. Verse six but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Not wonderful. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Remember, he's still in the slimy darkness, in the stomach of this fish where it's as black as pitch and now there's light the light of deliverance not a physical light but the light of deliverance is dawning on his reviving soul and even as he spoke to the lord he was strengthened in his faith his heart was filling with resurrection life it it's It's impossible, humanly speaking. But yet, this is happening. This is happening. And and so it is with the Christian today. We experience nothing less than new life in our risen Savior. What he himself called eternal life. When a person becomes a Christian, Jesus says he crosses over from death unto life. It's as radical as that. Through faith in Christ, though we're hemmed in by the phys- this physical body of death, we look for that resurrection to come. I wonder if you yet experienced that life-transforming experience. Can you testify with Jonah, but you brought my life up from the pit? Oh, my God. Isn't that what the new birth is? I love... Um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians and especially this the second chapter let me let me just read the words he's writing to Christians in Ephesus always important to look at the address when Paul when you're reading Paul's letters and it's and it's written to the Saints in Ephesus the faithful in Christ Jesus Chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, that is the Christians in Ephesus, what were you like? You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. And that describes every single person in the world today who is not a Christian. That includes people perhaps that are near and dear to you, people that have been brought up in the church, people that have sat under the word of God for weeks, for months, for years, for decades, maybe some of them for most of their life, they've sat under the word of God, and yet they are spiritually dead. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient. And then Paul includes himself here. He describes here what the Ephesians were like, but then he includes himself in verse 3. All of us. So he's saying, me included. Also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Dead and objects of wrath. Have you got it? These are the people that you're praying for. I hope, I hope, brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope you have a prayer list of people that you're praying that, that God would intervene and save. Well, this describes them. They're dead in trespasses and sin. They are objects of wrath. That's the reality. But then we come to verse 4, and it begins with the most wonderful but. But said this before, wherever you have a sentence in English, and certain things are stated, maybe about a person, and then the word but comes. It means it cancels everything that has gone before. So, you could say about a person, oh, you know, a fine fella, a, a decent fella, good taste parents, but as soon as you say but, you might as well not have said anything good about it. Because that but cancels it all out. Well the but here cancels everything out beforehand. The the bit about being dead in and trespasses and sins and, and objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace. You've been saved. And and you know that is that is what that is what Jonas referring to here, but you brought my life up from the pit. O oh Lord my God. And then fourthly we see the triumph of faith in verses eight and nine. And and it followed quite naturally that the final step in Jonah's experience was to exalt in his forgiveness by the Lord. And his words are all the more powerful whenever we remember that they were holy Based upon faith alone in the promises of God. Because Jonah was not yet on dry land. You know, whenever he utters these words, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. He praised God from inside the fish before he was actually delivered. Many people praise the Lord only after they've been delivered. Jonah was praising God from inside the fish before he was delivered. What what was that definition of faith? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Here's Jonah, and he's in in the fish and he's praising God. You see, the essence of faith, as we have already noted at the beginning of this sermon, is that it hopes for what it cannot see when what we can see points to disaster. And, and that, that's just, that's it. What a tremendous change had come over Jonah since he began to pray. Firstly, he's thinking about the heathen with compassion now. When before he was only concerned with escaping, preaching God's message to them, now he's thinking of them with compassion. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. This grace could be theirs, he's saying. There, there's there's a, a hint there of compassion. True, he's going to fall away from this wonderful truth when God actually... Uh, showed his grace to the pagan Ninevites. He's not a bit pleased. We'll see that later. But here in this moment of of reawakening of his faith, Jonah grasped the vision of God's love for lost mankind that ought to have remained with him and motivated him throughout the whole of his ministry. That's the first thing. Secondly, Jonah also expressed a renewed commitment to the Lord. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. His sense of reconciliation to his God completely overwhelms the outward evidence of his impending death. He worships God with a heart that is full of praise. What a lesson! to us. What a lesson to us. We are so tied up with circumstances. If our circumstances are tough, we're sad, we're down, we're depressed. And here's Jonah in the belly of the fish, and he's worshiping and exalting in God. He thought as he went down through the depths of the sea and the seaweed entangling him, he thought that was unfinished. But here he is, and he's, he's able to breathe inside this fish, and he is, he is. As I maybe said to you last time, there are, there are accounts of individuals who have experienced something similar, who have, who have survived being swallowed by a fish, by a large whale, and have survived and here he is he's worshiping god in in the least encouraging circumstances last thing i want to say here is the prophet had a fresh view of the sovereign grace of god he confesses here salvation comes from the lord it almost likes it's almost like stating the obvious isn't it because what what did jonah contribute to his salvation he was swallowed by a fish. Salvation comes from the Lord. There is no other source of redemption but the living God. Not in men, not in evangelists, not in preachers, not in churches, not in good works. God's salvation is freely given according to his eternal purpose and it is unconditionally given in that it presupposes no merit in the one who receives it. Most of all, it is lovingly given, for it is love for the loveless. Jonah rejoiced in the Lord's salvation as one who had been covered by eternal love when evil had been in his mind and hell was all that he deserved. Jonah knew this, and he exulted in the joy of his salvation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, is has that, is that truth got a grip of you yet? The salvation that we enjoy, that this salvation comes from the Lord. You know, it ought to, it ought to motivate our prayers not just when we're singing, and it ought to motivate us when we're singing, but it ought to motivate us when we're praying and praising God for His salvation. I, I, I fear, well, I'll just speak for myself, too often I take my salvation for granted to my shame. Too often. This is the most staggering thing that can happen to an individual. That the God who made the universe. The God who spoke this this wonderful world into being is the God who set his eye of affection on me before the foundation of the world and sent his son to Calvary to suffer and die and bear the wrath of God for me so that I could be with him for all eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah what a God, what a salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.